0: Hey everyone, this is Lindy. Thanks for joining us for a Circuit Riders podcast.
1: To know us, we're a YWI missions movement from Huntington Beach, California, with a passion to save the lost, revive the saved, and train them all. Circuit Rider Sundays is a weekly live stream
0: aimed to encourage, equip, and grow young leaders. You're listening to Circuit Rider Sunday's
1: podcast. Man, thank you, Lindy, and thank you so much to everybody on this Easter live stream right now. We're so grateful that you're with us and what a joy today, the resurrection day provides us. Even in these times, we can have such joy because Jesus is not dead, he's living, he's risen. And you know, one of the amazing things about the resurrection is not just that Jesus woke up. It's not just that he walked out of that tomb, but it's the fact that he never went back in. He never entered the grave again. You know, history in scripture tells us that men and women have risen from the dead before, but only one walked out of that tomb with a chain in hand, death wrapped up, conquered, dragging behind him. Only one woke up in power and sin was lying there still breathless. Many have risen, but only one has risen with the key of death hell in the grave. And if you're like me, who's scared of death, scared and had this enemy that we call death, this is good news because Jesus says to us, anyone who lives and believes in him, they will never die. Just as this one theologian says, You're not a body that has a soul. You're a soul that has a body. Meaning this flesh, even though it's being wasted away and it's gonna die one day, me, this soul, will never die if I have faith in Jesus Christ. What joy that provides us. We should all be screaming and shouting from our rooms and our houses right now. But one of the really sad things even about today is there will be billions of people who woke up with no joy even Christians having no joy. And I wanna read you this scripture because I think it highlights what we're talking about today, this joy. Psalm 51, verse 12, David's praying. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. David's praying, in other words, God, I've lost my joy. I need you to give it back to me. I need you to restore it to me. Revive me in joy. You know, there could be many reasons we need our joy restored. There could be many reasons we lose our joy. But I want to give you three this morning. The first one is sin. That's why David was praying. He had sinned. He'd committed adultery, murdered, and he lied and covered it all up. But sin really is this imitation of true joy. It's always saying something it can't prove. It's trying to cash a check that it can't cash It's like imitation crab. I don't know if you've ever had it or you know what it's made out of, but it's actually made out of starch paste and this white fish. And it's made to look like and to imitate real crab. But if you've had real crab, you know there is a massive difference, just as there is when you taste Jesus. There's a massive difference in the joy in Jesus and the joy that sin provides. Sin is always lying to us. And the lie of sin is this, not just that sin is doing bad things, but sin is trying to tell us this. In essence, doing bad things is better than God. This is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They they saw the fruit was good for food, delightful to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. What are they saying? They thought that this fruit was going to make them really happy. They thought it was going to make them even more happy than having God, but it was a lie. And in that moment where they ate, they lost their joy. And when sin enters in, that's the first fruit. We usually lose our joy, our happiness in God. It's just like miners back in the days. Miners, when they would go into their mines, sometimes there'd be these lethal gases that could cause explosions in different pockets of the mine. And so the solution they found was they brought these canaries, these birds in cages into the mines. And and canaries have really sensitive lungs. So if the gases were getting too lethal, the canaries would actually stop singing and faint. And so the miners knew as long as the canaries, as long as the birds were singing, the gas, the air quality in the mine was clean But if they stopped singing, then the gas in the air in the mine was unclean and they needed to get out. So it is with our hearts. When sin enters in, the first thing that stops is our heart stops singing for joy. It stops rejoicing in God. That's the first thing is we lose our joy. The second thing where we can lose our joy is being familiar with Jesus instead of knowing Jesus. You know, one of the amazing things is about the New Testament is there's only one Pharisee that we really know of in the Gospels that knew Jesus. His name is Nicodemus. Jesus told him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And in John 19, we find out that Nicodemus is still following him. But all of the other Pharisees, imagine all of them all of them were merely familiar with Jesus. They knew about him. They knew about his teachings and about his miracles and they never entered in to actually know him and they ended up killing him. Being familiar with Jesus does not save you. It's kind of like your neighbor and your family. When you come home from work or you come home from the store and you see your neighbor at the mailbox, you don't go up to them and them and kiss them and hug them and tell them how happy you are to see them. You merely wave and say, how are you? And there's a massive difference from that to when you enter in your home with the people that you know, your family, you embrace your kids, you kiss your spouse, you eat and you fellowship and you have this delight because you know them. When I was growing up, Jesus was this relic on the shelf of my life And I was merely familiar with him and I didn't know him and I had no joy. As a matter of fact, most of my Easter services growing up were merely the beginning of the day. I was actually really more excited about the Easter egg hunt afterwards. And that's what familiarity with Jesus produces. It produces this comfort, this false joy that's not founded in the reality of knowing him. Second thing is being familiar with Jesus instead of knowing him. The last thing is this, if Jesus is a means to an end instead of the end itself, then we will lose our joy. If we are using Jesus for something instead of him being this treasure to us, then we will lose our joy. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham was promised all these things. Abraham, I'll be with you. I'm gonna give you a son. I'm gonna give you this land. And Abraham, you look up. You see those stars? I'm going to make your descendants like those stars, Abraham. One might be tempted to think that the gift is better than the giver. But Jesus, but God, in order to not allow that to happen in his heart, to where you would value the gift above the giver, he said this, Abraham, on top of all of that, more than anything I give you, Abraham, I will be to you an exceedingly great reward. And for too long in the Western world, have we viewed Jesus too much like Santa Claus, you know, kind of there on the North Pole of our lives. And we call to him when we need something or want something from him. But listen to what first Peter says, the end goal of Christianity is forgiveness, not the end goal of Christianity being delivered Redemption being brought into the family, all those things are amazing, but they're not the end goal of Christianity. Peter says Christ died so that we would be brought to God, that we would get him and that Jesus, his words would be true, that we would sell everything out of joy by this field and get him as this treasure Today is about viewing Jesus as this treasure, as this reward, as someone were to know, as someone were to turn our lives from sin and all the things that hinder us and to fully run after him. And you know what we get from it all is joy. Last thing I'll say is this. David said he wanted the joy of his salvation restored to him. The joy of his salvation Your joy has a reference point. It's not just in an ethereal nature. It's actually in a moment in time in your history, in history, that joy was purchased for you. It's resurrection day. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. There is no joy. My friend Nick is gonna preach now, but I wanted to pray before we go into the rest of the message today. Jesus, we want you as our reward. We want you as our treasure. Lord, we look at you and we know that you're so much better than sin. You're so much better than just being familiar with you, having you on the shelf of our lives. Lord, we ask that you restore the joy of our salvation to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: I want to thank Derek for what he just shared because I actually want to build on it right now. Because what he just said was that the result of seeing the hope of Jesus, the result of having a full understanding of what the resurrection means should be a lifestyle of uncontrollable joy. And that if we don't have that joy, maybe we're not seeing the fullness of the hope of Jesus. Maybe we're not seeing the fullness of the meaning of the resurrection. See right now, all across America and all across the world, we find ourselves in a moment where business is not as usual. We're in a moment of crisis. We're in a global pandemic. And for the first time in a long time, believers are not able to gather together in person to celebrate Easter, but we're in our homes. Maybe we have family with us. Maybe we have a few roommates with us. Maybe we're just watching this on our phone. But I wonder if this crisis is actually helpful for us to have a greater understanding of what the resurrection is all about. Because I think that in crisis, our proclivity to hope is exposed. What we really believe is exposed. It shows us what is our reaction to the good news. Do we fully believe it? Do we kind of believe it? Do we disbelieve it? It exposes the truth of in our heart, of where we are at in terms of being on the same page as Jesus. When we look at the different accounts of the resurrection, we see man and man's lifestyle and man's way of believing and man's paradigm fully exposed. We see the different reactions that some people react in tons of faith, that some people react in total unbelief, and some people kind of believe but kind of don't believe all at the same time. Let's look here at Luke 24, at the story of the resurrection. It said, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? But these words seemed to them an idle tale, meaning they didn't believe what they were telling. They thought the stories were fake. They thought they were making them up and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Isn't it interesting that Jesus actually told them that he was going to die? And that Jesus already told them that not only was he going to die, but that he was going to rise again, and that it would be a good thing, and that it had to happen. But here we find three sets of the followers of Jesus. The first, the women, they come upon the empty tomb. And in seeing the empty tomb, they see two angels who tell them that Jesus is not dead, but that surely he's alive. And they're full of so much faith. They instantaneously become into belief going, man, this is what Jesus talked about. He is risen. He's not dead. Everything that Jesus said is true. And they're so excited. They run back to the disciples and they tell them everything that they saw and they heard. And what did, how did the disciples react? They thought that the story was fake. They didn't believe. But Peter, being a little bit interested, runs to the tomb sees the empty tomb and walks away. And what the scripture says is that he marveled, meaning he wondered in his heart. And it's not a negative wondering, but it's kind of a state of, I hope this is true. I want to believe this is true, but I'm not quite sure. And I'm not quite willing to put the fullness of my hope in this moment. I'm not willing to fully believe that this could be true. I don't want to get my hopes up. I want to play it safe. And I'm going to wait to see what happens. You see, these three states, we still live in believers today. See, some of us, maybe we're watching this and we're not a Christian, or some of us, we call ourselves a Christian. We live in a cultural uh, state of Christianity, but when it comes down to it, there's a real unbelief in our heart in the good news about Jesus. We can tell you what Jesus says, but in our heart, we don't really believe it. Some of us, when we hear the good news, we instantaneously come in faith. And we're the Christians that are overflowing with joy having to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus because we cannot keep it inside. We have revelation of who the God man Jesus is and the good news that he gives us. And I think more often than not, most of us find ourselves, though, in the moment of wanting to believe, almost hoping to believe but still holding on to a little bit of unbelief. I'm not sure it's true. I don't wanna get my hopes up. But today, when we look at the resurrection and what the resurrection means, I believe there are four major things that the resurrection is shouting into our life, that are shouting into our personal relationship with Jesus and our shout principles that are shouting into the leadership in Jesus in our life that we look at the resurrection. I believe that these four principles, that when we grab a hold of them and we let them really fully come into our heart and we truly believe, the only result will be uncontrollable joy and celebration. The first thing is that God always has the final say, that he always is in victory. We see in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four through 56, it says, "O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting?" The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the incredible news about the resurrection is that Jesus was not just a great philosopher. That Jesus was not just a great teacher. That he didn't just have good principles. That he wasn't just a prophet. That he didn't just have the best way to live your life. But the resurrection of Jesus confirms what we all believe is that Jesus was the son of God. And the things that he claimed to be true are true. And some of those things are that we can be forgiven of our sins. That right now in this moment, if we put our hope in Jesus and we say, Jesus, I repent. In other words, I want to turn from my old life and put faith into you. We can be instantaneously 100% forgiven. That Jesus has had the final word over sin in our life, and that means he's had the final word over separation between us and God. That in Jesus, we're no longer separated, but in Jesus, we are now connected in union, in deep connection with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Number two, we're no longer afraid of death because it's like what Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That no matter what is happening in this world, no matter how difficult it may be, that when we die, when we go to be with Jesus, we will be united forever with him in paradise where there will be no more sorrow, where there only will be joy overflowing, the fullness of hope, the fullness of faith, the fullness of the fruits of the spirit. We free of the flesh, free of the sin, free of temptation, and will live forever with Jesus the real reason we were created to be with him and it will last for all eternity. Sin has lost its sting in our life. Death has lost its sting in our life. Jesus has had the final say, not Satan, not your flesh, not the lies we believe, but what Jesus says is true. And you see, when we look through the whole story of the crucifixion, the resurrection, we see that Jesus was always in victory. There wasn't a moment where Jesus failed or we lost or we kind of lost and had to come back all of a sudden. We see that the principle of Jesus that the resurrection is showing us is that Jesus lives in a constant state of victory. That the kingdom, when we live in the kingdom, we are always in a place of victory. That we are in God's family. We're in a family that never loses but always wins. It's crazy. You could see the arrogance of Satan. He probably really thought that he had Jesus. He probably really, oh, I'm going to end Christianity. I'm killing Jesus. I'm so great. I'm so proud. I love my rebellion. I'm going to have victory. I'm going to be able to condemn men and separate them for the rest of their life. You can see the religious leaders so happy. They're putting an end to the disruption to religion and the beginning of relationship with Jesus. You could think they're so happy. Look, we killed him. We ended the revolution. We ended the kingdom coming. We can go back to how it was. We can go back to the religious boredom, the religious rule by law. But even in those moments, we know that the scripture says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. That the reason that Jesus came was that he came to seek and save that which was lost. The very reason he came was to die for you and I. And although it was the evil choice of man, and even though it was Satan and his evil prideful ways, we know behind those choices and behind what Satan tried to do, was Jesus in submission to the Father of what they had planned far beyond the creation of the earth, that he would come and that he would die for his enemies, that he would come and that he would die for you and I, being the substitution, being the atonement, being the sacrifice that would consume the wrath of God, and that no longer when Jesus, when the Father looks at us and when Jesus looks at us, that he has to see our sin and has to judge it, but he can say, I took it on me, so now I can love you. Now I can bring you close. Now I can adopt you as a son and daughter. We see that even in the darkest moments in our life that Jesus is still having victory. See, I wonder if for some of you watching this morning is quite honestly, you feel like you're losing. Quite honestly, you feel like Jesus is nowhere to be found. You might feel like the disciples, our leader has died. Everything we built is gone. You've lost hope that Jesus is always in victory. Perhaps you've forgotten that Jesus never loses, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard it looks right now, that Jesus is in victory. See, this victory isn't only personal, but it allows us to look at suffering around the world in a whole new way. Because our God is not a God removed from suffering, but our king is a suffering king that he actually came and he was tortured and he was flogged and he was crucified and he died. And the final word of victory isn't just your personal life, but that the personal that the victory that Jesus had is that he has promised that all things will work for the good for those who love him. That all things will work out for our good if we love him, if we are in Jesus, all of a sudden the pain we've experienced becomes our platform. All of a sudden, our past failure becomes our testimony that with Jesus, nothing is wasted and that we can look at injustice in the world and horrible things happening and incredibly depressing and horrifying headlines and we can say that Jesus is still in victory over those things, that Jesus will have the final word. And even though none of us could imagine that Jesus would rise from the dead three days later, but he did Could we join Jesus in faith and the promises of scripture that although we don't know how he's going to bring good from this, can we join with him in faith that no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the pain, he will bring hope. He will bring an answer. He will bring justice. He will redeem the evil that we are looking at. He will bring good from it. And all of a sudden, Life becomes so joyful because everywhere we look, we don't just see what the enemy's doing. We don't just see what sinful man is doing, but we see the victory that God is having in the midst of all these things. The second thing is that the principle of scripture that seems to be demonstrated by the death and resurrection of Jesus is this pattern of death to life. And I think so many times life can get very dark that we can have moments where we truthfully do get a bit disillusioned, where we truthfully do enter into confusion, that we're like, where is God? But isn't it funny that over and over in the scripture, there is this painting that in the darkest moments of our life, that victory and that resurrection and that life is only around the corner. That if you're in your darkest night right now, then tomorrow morning could be the brightest light that you've ever experienced. That though, while morning may last the night, joy comes in the morning. And sometimes we get pruning and death mixed up a little bit. Pruning is God coming in our life and maybe taking a few things away to refine our motives. But what about real death? What about I lost my business? I lost my church. I lost my personal vision, I've lost my hope, I'm in a place of depression, I'm in the dark night of the soul. What if in those moments, what if in those moments, those moments of deep darkness, that the most hope can be found because right around the corner, Jesus is getting ready to do a miracle in your life. He's getting ready to resurrect something. And I want to pause and say something almost a bit prophetically in this hour because I do believe that in this moment of darkness all across the United States and all across the world, could Jesus be waiting for a couple things to die in us and at the church at Broad to bring us into the greatest resurrection of the church in history? that although we can't gather right now, all we can do is just move in Facebook posts and Instagram and YouTube, that from this moment, the greatest rising, the greatest human harvest in history, the greatest coming to Jesus, the greatest souls being run into the the kingdom, perhaps even a billion soul harvest is at the door, but Jesus is allowing this pause in the church to allow a few things to die. I wanna propose those to you for a quick moment. Number one, could God be letting our desire for personal recognition die? That maybe some of us right now, there's no way we've lost our influence because we can't gather in person and we're doing everything we can to get back to it. But Jesus is saying, no, I want it to die. It was never about you. You have to die to your desire to be known. You have to have your desire for the stage, your worship of the stage to be ended for me to use you. You must become a mirror that when people look at you, they look up to Jesus and they see a reflection of me and they do not see you. They see my glory. They don't see a young person or a man or a woman taking my glory and trying to act like they did it. See, I wonder if God is changing our picture of influence it's not about the stage. It's not about personal recognition that even some that have great personal recognition have such little kingdom fruit because they didn't follow in the way of Jesus and making disciples about becoming nothing and letting Jesus become everything and pouring ourselves like servants into others with our whole life when no one can see in the secret place and maybe no one will see and only Jesus will see and reward us one day in heaven. Perhaps he's waiting for us to die to personal recognition because what God wants to release is more power, more healing, more harvest than ever before in human history. Number two, could God be waiting for us to die to the way we want it to look? I know for me that when I get a vision, when I get a dream, I want it to look in a certain way. I have it already planned out in my mind. I don't know if you're like me, but I've even visualized, not in a weird way, but just visualized, oh man, I can't imagine when God's gonna fill that promise. I know how he's gonna use me. I know what he's gonna do in my life. But the truth is, God is saying it's gonna look way different than you're thinking. In fact, if you look at scripture, what person that receives a promise does it ever end up looking like they really thought? Does it end up being the dream they imagined in their mind? No, we live in an upside down kingdom and God is saying actually you're hindering the work of the spirit because your vision is too small. You keep taking my promise and applying it to a small box. I'm asking you, break your box. Allow me to do the unthinkable. Allow me to do something upside down. I don't care if you think it's gonna work. I don't care if you think that my, my plan is good. I don't care if you think that your strategy is higher. Let it die so I can birth something so much bigger in you than you're thinking right now. Let your little man plans die so I, I me as a big God can unleash my redemptive plan and on the earth through you. Could God be waiting for us to die to our plans so that he can give us steps of simple obedience that lead to the greatest harvest in human history? And number three, could God be crucifying? Could God be killing our resistance to the spirit? We know that the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit is like a wind and we never know which way it's gonna go. And I feel in America, and even in my own life, I've gotten too comfortable with clinging to a role, too comfortable clinging to a structure, too uh, too comfortable clinging to a system. We know that Jesus didn't come to set up a system, and those systems are amazing. There's all kinds of benefits from it, but never at the expense of being led by the Spirit, never at the expense of being flexible to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Could we be dying to demanding that everything be so perfectly structured and predictable? Could we be dying to the inflexibility that we have in the Spirit? Could we be dying to the fear of man of what happens if I just do whatever the Spirit's telling me? Could we be dying to just admitting that Jesus heals today and being known for the controversial belief that should not be controversial that the Holy Spirit is alive in supernatural power? Could we die? for declaring? Could we die to uh, worry about what everyone thinks if we step out in radical Christianity? Could the Lord be waiting for us to die to the fear of man and to man-pleasing and to adopt being led by the Spirit? This morning, tonight, whenever you're watching this, our darkest moment is going to lead to a resurrection. Whatever is happening in your life, I want to tell you that resurrection is around the corner. I don't care where you are. If you are in Jesus or if you don't know him, you put your faith in Jesus, resurrection is around the corner. Number three, the title of my sermon, A Dangerous Hope. See, when we start to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. When we really start to see that he has final say, and then when we start to believe that he really is in victory 100% of the time, and we see that no matter how dark it gets, resurrection is only around the corner, that he's always with us, whether we believe it or not, that he's about to do something great, whether we believe it or not, we start to look at life differently. We start to become crazy like Paul. Not even death is bad news, that death is great news. I get to be with Jesus. It doesn't matter if I'm persecuted. It doesn't matter if I die a martyr. It doesn't matter if my I die to my personal recognition. It doesn't matter if my reputation dies. All of it is joy because no matter what bad thing is happening to me, joy is on the way. Hope is on the way. And we begin to live with a dangerous hope that we can stand in any kind of circumstances, whether it's COVID-19 or something horrible to come in the future, that we can stand in the midst of it. And we're not standing on the stand, but we're standing on the solid rock, Jesus said, I know this looks so bad, guys. I know it's horrible. I know the news. I know the headlines. But somehow, in the pain, in the suffering, in the legitimately bad things that are happening, Jesus, there is a hope found in him, and he will pull something so good from this that we cannot imagine. And not just corporately for the church, not just corporately for the world, but in your personal life. See, some of us this morning, we gotta give it up. The truth is we've been resistant to this hope. We've not been able to apply that Jesus can really forgive your sin. That sure, something great's going to come in that person's life, but it's not going to come in my life. No, it's too dark right now. You don't understand the pain that's happened in my life, the suffering in my life. How could God ever redeem it? For those of us that just are resistant to the hope, it's time to give up our resistance. To some of us that kind of believe it, it's time to fully believe it this morning. Because the fourth thing that happens is what exactly what Derek said. An uncontrollable joy comes from our heart. An uncontrollable joy begins to saturate because everywhere we look, it's good news. That even in the hardest moments, all we can see is good news. That doesn't matter how low it looks, all we can see is good news. I pray this morning that when you look at the resurrection, that you don't see this as an Easter tradition but that you personally apply this in saying this message is for you. The hope of Jesus is for you. And some of you this morning, you need to give your life to Jesus. You're watching this and you realize that maybe you've heard about him or you've been around the church, but that you've never put your hope in Jesus. You've never allowed this truth to seep into your soul. And I want to give you an opportunity to come to faith right now in this moment for God to forgive your sins and for the separation between you and God to be just destroyed and for you to be brought into a family, to become adopted into the kingdom of God, to become a son or a daughter, to be connected with your purpose, to be given life and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to be a part of God's mission. Some of you, you realize listening to this, you're like, wow, there's been some areas of unbelief in my life. I wanna give you an opportunity just to get rid of those little subtleties of unbelief, the subtle cynicism, the subtle I'll believe it when I see it and it's time for you to get back on the faith train and know that God is actively working in your life and about to do something so great. And finally, at the end here, the resurrection of Jesus is the power of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel. The whole Christian faith hinges on the resurrection. And this morning, that resurrection power lives inside of us because of the Holy Spirit. I wanna pray for healing and I wanna pray that some of you would be marked in this Easter, series, uh, this Easter season like never before and marked with your calling to be an evangelist and to be a good news messenger. I wanna pray for you that the work that God has started, that he would finish it so that you would be ready for what I believe we are walking into, the greatest harvest of souls the world has ever seen a billion souls coming into the kingdom worldwide. If you need to get right with Jesus, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. And I believe that God is gonna meet you wherever you're at. I don't need to be with you in person. The Holy Spirit will be, Jesus will be with you. And that's who you really wanna be with. Pray with me, Jesus, I wanna come to know you. I wanna surrender my life to you. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for every way I've rebelled every way I've walked away from you. Jesus, I wanna surrender my life. I turn, I repent. I turn to you and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me and I believe that you rose again and that you really do have the final say over sin and death. I wanna be a part of your family. I fully give my life to you. If you just prayed that, you've just come into the greatest family, the family of God. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would fill them now and you would begin to open the scriptures to them. I encourage you, begin reading the book of John, reach out to a Christian you know, seek discipleship, DM us on social media. We'd love to connect you with more resources. Some of you watching this, you realize unbelief has crept in. I want you to pray this when you Say, Jesus, I've let cynicism I let the view of the world, the way of the world seep into my thinking. I want to crucify it right now. I want to get rid of it right now. And I want to take on the kingdom mindset of the resurrected Jesus. That hope is always at the door. That we live in a living hope. And his name is Jesus. That there's always good news in Jesus. That there is always victory in Jesus. Jesus, expose every area of unbelief. We break up with it. We repent from it in Jesus' name. And we cling to your hope and ask you, Lord... Give us greater revelation of your hope. Give us greater revelation of your son. And finally, I wanna pray for what I said. I wanna pray for healing right now. If you are sick or you have a loved one who is sick, I wanna pray for you right now. And I believe the resurrection power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to meet you where you're at right now. And I believe that we are gonna see many healed in this moment right now as we pray. If you have pain in your body, I just want you to, in faith, put your hand wherever you have pain in your body. If you have a loved one, I want you to say their name out loud. I want you to agree with this prayer of healing for whoever you're praying for right now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Lord, I thank you that you died. I thank you that you rose again. And I thank you that you have power over the grave, that you have power to heal, that by your stripes, we are healed. God, I thank you for the many testimonies of healing that we've been been experiencing amidst the COVID-19 virus, even those with COVID being fully healed and restored. Jesus, I pray right now, no matter what the illness, the pain, or whatever's going on in their life, I pray that you would heal them right now. I pray you'd release your power of healing, your Holy Spirit to make their body whole. God, we rebuke every assignment of the enemy against their life. And Lord, we pray that they would live and that they would not die, that they would be made fully whole, that they would be sozo, it would be salvation, saved, healed, and delivered. Make them fully whole, including mental illness, including mental things that are keeping us, anxiety, depression. God, bring fullness of healing right now to all that are watching, that need healing, family members, us personally, whoever would be watching, release your healing power even now. And finally, before I go, some of you, I believe that this morning you got gripped with the good news of Jesus. Some of you are going, I don't understand why it's good news. I know why it's good news, but now you see fully why it's good news. And it's time that you submit to Jesus and you say, God, mark me for this great harvest. I've had so much unbelief. I've been trying to figure out my life and you've been trying to prepare me for the greatest harvest in human history. God, I submit to your ways. Your ways are so much bigger. I wanna be a part of this vision. I wanna be part of this harvest of souls. I'm willing to do anything. God, I'll go anywhere. God, make me ready. Forgive me for my small-mindedness and mark me to be a leader, to be an evangelist, to be a messenger in this harvest. So if that's you and you wanna be a part of that harvest that I believe is coming on the other end of this pandemic, I want you to pray this with me and I want you to receive this prayer. I want you to put your hands out in front of you as a sign of receiving from God. In the name of Jesus, I pray for an impartation over every single person watching that wants this, that they wanna be marked as an evangelist. They wanna be marked as a messenger. They wanna be marked as a leader in this great harvest that is coming and already has begun. Holy Spirit, mark their life. I pray, God, that you would pour out more conviction of things that we have to get rid of to make us ready. God, I pray that you would get rid of anything that's stopping us from walking in the fullness of our calling. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would impart more gifts that they will need for this harvest, that you will pour out deeper relationship in their life, that you'd impart a greater gift of hunger to be with you, to be marked by you, to know your word, to be saturated in your presence, to be pulled into the place of prayer. God, I pray they would be marked, God, with a supernatural anointing and a calling and a responsibility, a mantle, God, for this coming harvest. God, would you use them mightily and prepare them, God, for this great work that you have for them. May they be fullness of faith that they will be a part of these great days ahead. I wanna thank you for watching our Sunday celebration service this morning. I pray that you are deeply encouraged I want you to know that we love you as Circle Riders. We're praying for you, but that Jesus loves you far more. We love you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Circle Rider Podcast. For our full library of podcasts and more information about the Circ Riders, visit us at CRMovement.com. To get involved with the day-to-day of what we do or to see what's happening across the nation, follow us at CRMovement on Instagram. We'll see you on the road.